You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are recapping East Carolina and Navy. I am your host, the publisher of Hoist the Colors, the host of this podcast, Stephen Igo. A pleasure to be joined uh, by you guys tonight as we recap ECU and Navy. Unfortunately, an East Carolina loss, their third of the season. They dropped to 1-3, one 1-2 and one and in the American Athletic Conference in the early season. And, uh, you know, a frustrating loss for ECU, a lot of missed opportunities Certainly a lot of positives, some negatives certainly. Uh, given the expectations of this game, without Holton Aylers, without some key guys due to contact tracing, which we'll get into all the COVID stuff uh, here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I thought a valiant effort by a lot of members of ECU's football team, uh, most notably, of course, the true freshman quarterback, Mason Garcia, in his first start. It certainly wasn't pretty at times. Uh, Navy got out, got after him a little bit, along with ECU's passing game. But, you know, he looked about how I expected Mason Garcia to look in his first career start, which we'll get more into that as we go along. 27-23, the final. Certainly not the Navy team that we've seen in past years. I thought that was evident. Something else that was evident was certainly this was not the lost ECU defense that we've seen in past years against the triple option. There were just so few busts on the defensive side of the ball. You know, if you remember in past years when Navy has faced ECU, there have just been guys going up the middle, untouched on the fullback dive, untouched on the sweep outside, uh, wide open receivers on bust and coverage. And none of that was really happening today. I mean, certainly there were a couple busts. I mean, that's going to happen when there's so much motion, so many responsibilities from play to play. But overall, Navy had to earn pretty much everything it got, even the long touchdown runs, the 32-yarder uh, by Nelson Smith. Uh, I think they had a few other fullback dives that went for a, a, a good ways. Um, those were a, basically a result of, of broken tackles. There were very few plays where there was little to no contact on runs up the middle or runs to the outside. If so, it was more execution on Navy's part and so overall I thought ECU's defense certainly did enough to win the game you know the the bottom line is this if Holton Aylers plays in this game ECU wins by at least 10 to 14 points I think the early uh, inability to come away with touchdowns in the red zone ended up being a big difference in the game especially in the first half I mean you're talking about a situation where maybe you get two touchdowns instead of two field goals you're much more comfortable if you're Johnny Kirkpatrick and this offense calling plays with an experienced quarterback who you know is not going to make mistakes in the red zone. Uh, And maybe you call plays a little differently with Holt Naylor's in the game as opposed to Mason Garcia. Maybe instead of 7-6, it's 14-7 ECU. uh, And then after another touchdown, maybe it's 21-7 ECU. And then you have a completely different game. So, again, not putting the blame on Mason Garcia, nor Donnie Kirkpatrick, nor any of those people. I I think it was just the circumstances of the game. They created that, uh, but I think Holt Naylor's, especially given the experience 
of Navy's the experience of going against Navy's defense, the experience of having to deal with so many different coverages. You know, we talked about it on the, the pregame podcast, me and Brett Hickman, the head coach at West Brunswick, former college assistant coach. Navy's defense, complex-wise, complexity-wise, uh, is tough. They they blitz a lot. They do a lot of different coverages. You know, I, I think they're probably one of the more complex defenses on ECU's schedule. They certainly can be had in certain areas, especially the running game, as we saw today. But they they make life tough on opposing quarterbacks, and they did early last year against Holton Aylers, and they did today with Mason Garcia. And, um, you know, there certainly were some missed throws. There were some opportunities. Garcia had a chance to make some plays in the passing game, but he was clearly more comfortable with his legs, which is fine. You know, this was his first career start. He honestly looked about how like I expected him to look. Um, I did expect maybe a little bit more in the passing game, but having watched him last year at the high school level, a lot's been made about his big arm, and he certainly has as much arm strength that, as, as I've seen. Um, but, you know, there were times on shorter throws in high school where the mechanics would get a little off, and he would, you know, sometimes spike throws to, to receivers. So he's still coming along with accuracy. The arm talent, as far as upside, is as, as good, good as any I've seen in ECU's program. But he was always more comfortable kind of controlling the game with his legs. And that's what we saw today. He was much more comfortable going on quarterback draws, quarterback powers, extremely athletic. You know, Holton's a great runner. Garcia's probably faster. Um, He's a little bigger, probably a little more athletic overall. But, you know, it's clear Holton Aylers is the best quarterback on this team right now. We saw that today. And he should be. He's a junior. He went through the same exact thing when he was a freshman. Uh, You remember his first start against UCF. You know, there were some major ups and downs. He did a lot of running. Early in his career, teams adjusted to that, uh, to some of his tendencies. Then he struggled a bit as a passer, and it just takes time for young quarterbacks to figure out how things work at the college level. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. There's so much thinking that is done so early in a quarterback's career. And then as you go along, as you get more experience, you, you don't think as much. You just play because you know what to expect. You know how to read things. And that's what we saw from Mason Garcia today. Just a little too much thinking. I thought the game... Uh, sped up on him in a number of situations. But again, not, that's fine. This game is not on Mason Garcia in any regard. I thought he did his best. Uh, I thought that the running game was pretty phenomenal overall. I mean, you talk about ECU. They ran the ball 45 times for six yards to carry, 268 yards total. Of course, the 80-yard touchdown run by Raji Harris boosts that number a lot. But uh, when you run the ball, you know, a lot of complaints about, hey, why are we running the ball? Why are we running the slow developing play on first and second down so many times? Well, you run it because on that type of run, all it takes is one crease, one play to make it all worth it. And we saw that with the Harris touchdown run. They were really close to breaking that a number of times in the first half. And either somebody slightly missed a block, you know, the running back got tripped up, etc., Finally, everything came together on that play. And there was another play later in the game where Raji almost broke it again, I think, in Navy territory, where he had a great seam and then just got tripped up as he went through the hole. Otherwise, that may have been a touchdown as well. So uh, just because you're not getting five, six yards on first down every time doesn't mean that it's not there. You could see, based on how Navy was playing it, you know, they were pursuing the run hard. If you get that crease and you and you hit the hole, at the right angle, get the right block, and you're going to uh, crease that defense, which ECU did, and ECU's done that now twice in a row. Back-to-back games with 40-plus yard touchdown runs. 
Uh, when's the last time that happened for East Carolina? So a lot to like in the running game. We talked about the struggles in the passing game. Um, and, you know, the numbers on paper don't look too bad at the end of the day. Mason Garcia, 10 of 20, uh, 104 yards, zero touchdowns, zero picks. There were about two passes that could have easily been picked that Garcia threw. Again, just trying to make something happen. But overall, I thought he was pretty careful with the football. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the coaches kind of <laughs> drilled in his head, hey, do not turn the ball over. We can't afford to turn the ball over. So, you know, I thought at times he played a little tight. Um, and that's fine. You know, expect that from a true freshman quarterback. He will make tremendous, tremendous strides from this film. You know, if he did have to start the Tulsa game, which I don't think he will, uh, just because I think Holden Ailes be back by then, I would expect a major leap. But um, I'm expecting Holden back by then. But Mason's still got an extremely bright future. This game didn't really change my mind uh, about anything regarding Mason Garcia's future. I still think he is the future past Holden Ailes. Holden is the guy right now. Uh, we saw why today, and we saw some some upside with with Mason, which he still has, and he still learned. Um, ECU's defense, and of course, before we move fully on to, to the defense, um, you know the, the tough thing about the passing game not being in sync in sync is you didn't really get your receivers, your top playmakers involved. You know, CJ Johnson one catch for 15 yards, uh, two more drops today for CJ. He's got to quit trying to run with the football before he catches it. You know, one drop was. You know, can, can, can more be ruled a pass breakup than a true drop? He was coming in on the slant on third down. DB was all over him. He actually injured his shoulder on the play. Showed a lot of toughness coming back in. Uh, but then he had a play late in the game where he's just got to catch the ball and get out of bounds there. He tried to catch it and run upfield and make some miraculous play, which he's certainly capable of doing. But he's got to uh, hone in, can't lose focus. He's just got to catch the ball before he runs. And, and this is now... Three out of four games with one or two drops for CJ, so he's got to continue to clean that up. Um, you know, Blake Pro, Tyler Sneed only combined for six catches and 45 yards. So again, with the inconsistencies in the passing game, you didn't really get some of your top playmakers the ball as much as you would like, and so that was a factor in the game. Defensively for ECU, man, it was nice to see, as I mentioned earlier, a team that actually had a plan against the triple option for once. Uh, can't credit Blake Harrell, Mike Houston, who's a defensive-minded coach, and, you know, enough for having a, a stout game plan. Navy does rush for 288 yards, uh, but they only pass for 30. So you give up 318 total yards. ECU outgains Navy 372 to 318. Uh, you'll take those numbers more times than not. I mean, you would like to hold them to less than 250. But, it, you know, you hold Navy – to 27 points uh, in normal circumstances, that's good enough to win, just not tonight based on how the game went and how the, the game was. So uh, I thought the defensive line played great. Elijah Morris, Rick Diabreu, uh, Chris Willis all had their their, their some amazing moments. Um, Xavier Smith was everywhere, 15 tackles. Sean Dorso played a pretty good game. He did miss a couple tackles. Same with Jaira Wilson. Uh, Chad Stevens did a nice job on the edge in his first career start with Demir Faison out. And so, you know, I thought that the defense played well enough to win. And again, just kind of shows night and day these past few years, if you compare this game defensively to what Blake Carroll was able to accomplish tonight, uh, puts a lot of validity in uh, the decision of Mike Houston to hire Blake Carroll, who has a background with the triple option. And now that this defense, uh, the young defense, the defensive staff, has seen the triple option up close and in person with Navy, 
Uh, you're going to see the same triple option, at least for next year. I know Navy's on the schedule next year. I'm not sure about future years after that, but you're going to see Navy probably three out of four, four out of every five years uh, with Navy on the schedule, uh, with, the, with the AAC not being in divisions any longer. So this is a critical game, a critical game plan. And, you know, you look right now at the ECU's, uh, the youth of the ECU defense, and I believe really this was the first time for the majority of these guys seeing the option. And next year when they play Navy in Annapolis, they'll be ready for it, even more ready for it than they were tonight. And uh, I think that will pay dividends in this series going forward. So, uh, again, we touched on the players who were out due to COVID a little bit earlier, specifically Holton Aylers. Just as a recap, five players Missed the game due to COVID-19 protocols. Holton Aylers, uh, per my sources, was the only positive test as a result of Monday's testing. His brother tweeted during the game that uh, Holton went on his own on Saturday to get a follow-up COVID test. I believe he, according to his brother, got one follow-up COVID test following the positive test. And he remained uh, in, in quarantine. But then, the despite being asymptomatic, the team doctors did not want to give him another one. And I, again, I don't want to speak and say that that's um, right or not right. I don't know the protocols ins and outs of that. Um, and I know we got a few questions about this, which, would I, which I will hit on more. But uh, you do kind of wonder, hey, if your quarterback, if any player really, is asymptomatic multiple days after testing positive, why not retest him? Why can't he test out of it if he's able to test out three straight negative tests like Nick Saban was uh, as Georgia faces Alabama as I record this? And Nick Saban is on the sideline after testing positive for COVID on Wednesday, just three days ago. So, uh, and Holton Aylers tested positive on Monday. It just really makes you scratch your head at, at what, you know, what are the protocols here? Why is it different in the SEC compared to the American. It, it puts ECU, it puts the American schools at a disadvantage, in my opinion. So you do have to uh, scratch your head at that. Either way, uh, Holton Aylers, the one positive test that led to five guys total being out due to contact tracing as Darius Penix was uh, was ruled out. The Pirates' starting caliber running back, of course, Raji may have still, still gotten the start, but Penix is a leader, a crucial guy on offense. You also missed safety Tank Robinson. You also missed Demir Faison. And then uh, fellow running back, last year's leading rusher, Demetrius Mooney. Those four guys had to sit out due to contact tracing. And that's five guys total that had to sit out. And really, uh, based on the information we have, probably shouldn't have had to sit out. And, you know, if Holton Aylers plays in that game, ECU wins. Uh, good luck changing that in my mind. But this is 2020. Doesn't really matter what we all think. Doesn't matter what could have been. Uh, what matters is reality, and ECU is one and three. All right, it is time for your questions, which we got a lot on the Hoist of Colors message board. But first, let's take a quick break, throw it to our sponsors. We will be right back with more and your questions on the Hoist of Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, we're back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Let's jump right into your questions as we recap Navy's 27-23 to victory over East Carolina. Berg Pirates got our first two questions of the night. He asked, why didn't we run plays early to get our true freshman quarterback into a rhythm? Parentheses, screens, running back swing passes, curls, hitches, etc. Well, uh, you know, we did see some curls and hitches. You know, I remember especially those passes to Omatosho that went for first downs. Those were little short passes over the middle. Um, the screens were tough in terms of the perimeter screens. Navy was pressing the receivers all day long, so that was the uh, that was really taken away. The the running back screens were there, and uh, the swing passes, which we saw one of those to Keaton Mitchell in the second half, I believe, that went for a first down. I would have liked to see more of that. You know, it looked like they were about to run something with Josiah Hatfield coming in motion in the first half, and I believe Sean Bailey jumped off for a false start, and then that play was pretty much scrapped. I don't know if they went back to that. I'd have to double-check, but... Um, I thought they did some things. They tried some things. You know, I would have liked to have seen some more stuff, but from what I understand, Keaton Mitchell was banged up. He 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 was on a snap count limit tonight, which is probably why you saw a few um, su- such few plays his way. You know, Raji really carried the load. Uh, Josiah would have liked to have seen him a little more, but again, he's coming back from an injury, probably a little banged up. I don't even know if he got a touch tonight. So uh, we'll have to. I have to double check his snap count tomorrow. But yeah, certainly some things Donnie Kirkpatrick could have done differently, the offensive coordinator. But I also thought there were some plays that were there. You know, I remember a play action where the tight end, I believe it was Calhoun, was open off the uh, the play fake, and, and Garcia. It was a tight. You know, I don't want to say tight window, but it wasn't a free lane pass. But it was a throw that you know at the college level you have to be able to make. I mean, it was there. And Garcia just kind of passed it up, and, and he either scrambled or threw it away. But there were multiple occasions where guys were open, and he just, you know, he didn't see him. He came off his first read if it was covered more times than not, and he, he looked to run. Um, so it, it reminds me a lot of Holton Aylers early in his career. Again, a guy who's just kind of learning how to play the quarterback position at the college level, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, Mason, again, will learn a ton from this game. So, you know, to answer your question, could ECU have done something differently? Uh, probably so. I mean, they probably could have called a couple different things, but I did think the, the play caller was a little hamstrung tonight just given the limitations of, of the quarterback right now uh, and, and his limit limited reps. I think the bigger question is why didn't Mason Garcia maybe get some more reps uh, at the end of games earlier this year, which could have helped maybe calm him down and, uh, you know, we'd be a little further along in the process, but, uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. All right, Berg Pirate also asked, Nick Saban is coaching tonight. Has John Gilbert, the East Carolina Athletics Director, petitioned the league to change their COVID-19 policy? If not, will he? Um, You know, I, I highly doubt it. You know, I don't think one athletic director from East Carolina is going to be able to get the league to change his COVID-19 policy. 
Now, if I'm Mike Houston, I'm probably writing a letter or something to Mike Oresco or asking John Gilbert to do something about it if it's truly the AAC COVID-19 policy that won't let guys test out of it. I mean, you look at the NFL. The National Football League allows players and coaches to test out of COVID-19. I don't even think it's a matter of days. I just think it's when they're able to test out two or three negative times in a row, then they can return. You know, why does NCAA... Granted, it's not pro football, but why does the NCAA not allow that as well? It just seems like common sense to me. Once you test negative multiple times in a row, I would assume you are not, uh, you are no longer contagious. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I believe that is how it works and why they're allowed to return at the professional level. So I do hope that uh, at some point they'll reevaluate that. But you know, we're getting pretty late into the season; we haven't heard anything about that. All right, ECU fan. 888 how do you see the O-line shaking out after Deontay Smith's return? Seems like they're making gradual progress after the disaster at Georgia State. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, you know, that's been probably the biggest positive, and nobody really talks about the O-line when they're playing well. But again, back-to-back games with more than 200 yards rushing tonight with 268. I mean, you have to be extremely pleased if you're Steve Shankweiler and Donnie Kirkpatrick in that regard. Especially, you're able to run the ball in a game against a team that knew you really weren't going to throw it. And um, that speaks volumes. The fact that they loaded the box, they blitzed, and you still ran the ball effectively. That should give this team a lot of confidence going forward because once Holton Aylers returns, your passing game is going to be that much better. Your running game is already established. Teams are going to have to commit to taking away the run. You've now rushed for well over 200 yards in three of your four games. That is going to make you an extreme threat to win any football game. It's going to help out your defense because you're going to be able to sustain drives. Um, you know, when when ECU plays Tulsa, they're going to have to make a conscious effort to take away the run. Otherwise, ECU uh, is going to be able to run the football consistently and win games that way. So that's something that teams are going to have to do. Uh, back to your original question. You know, Deontay Smith, I think, will slide in at left tackle. You know, the interesting thing to me is what will they do at a right tackle because Bailey Malovic and Justin Chase have been rotating there. But I would almost say I would rather see Nashad Strother go to right tackle, Deontay Smith stay at left tackle, because I like what I'm seeing out of Trent Holler at right guard. I know Sean Bailey started tonight, but Trent Holler has seen the majority of the snaps or at least half of the snaps at right guard the last few weeks, and I really like what he's doing specifically in the running game. You know, Avery Jones seems pretty good at right guard, or at left guard, excuse me. And Fernando Fry has been solid at center. So I think, what are you going to do at right tackle? Where, where are you going to put Nashad Strother? He was, he had been working more at right guard. But for me, I think if he, you know, if Holler keeps performing like this at right guard, I almost slide Strother to right tackle if he can handle that. And then I think you might have your best five on the line that way. But we'll have to wait and see. Again, Deontay yet to get cleared. I know he practiced some this week. We'll see if he gets cleared in the, in the days to come. Uh, ECU fan 888 also asked, do you think Trent Holler offers us more upside at center? I know the staff feels comfortable with Fry because of his game experience, but he whiffed big time on a sack earlier in the game, and then he had two costly uh, snapping miscues late in critical situations. So, yeah, I mean, that was tough. That, that Those were... Those were drive killers, especially the one on second and five. Um, that's something Fernando really hasn't had too much of an issue with this season. 
you know, overall. Uh, Trent is more of a natural center. That's what he's recruited as. I think he's the center of the future. Uh, maybe that is something that once Deontay comes back, they consider. Maybe you consider moving Hollard to center and Strother to right guard. Uh, but, you know, I think Fernando also had some crucial blocks on, on huge runs tonight. So he's also a leader. He's a senior. Maybe he, he's not quite as athletic as some of the guys in the league, but he's solid. You know, I don't think he's an all-conference guy. But, um, you know, that's a tough that's a tough decision that the coaching staff has to make. If they do feel over the bye, if Deontay comes back and they feel Trent at center gives them more of an upside with Strother at right guard, then maybe that's the move you make. Um, now that he has put a full game, oh, this is another question. Now that he has put a full game as the main guy at that spot, do you think Chad Stevens has a chance to compete for the starting spot at rush in moving forward? Uh, Faison seems solid. I know the staff is high on him. Just feels like Stevens brings a little more playmaking ability to that spot. Either way, solid rotation to have there once Faison is back. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I think Chad Stevens is a guy, you know, a young kid. Uh, really glad to see him get his opp- opportunity tonight. Thought he played really well uh, based on the naked eye. Seemed to, to hold up his responsibility and did well there. Um, you know, face on a little bit further along in the progression of his career in terms of uh, strength and that sort of stuff. You got to remember Chad, too, also played inside linebacker last year. This is his first year at Rush or, or playing on the outside. And I think long term, he probably gives you the most upside of that position. Uh, in terms of the guys on the roster, he seems to be pretty solid at rushing the passer. Um, you know, he's still working his way back into top-notch shape from what I've heard, but I think he's, as the season goes along, he's really playing himself in the shape. And he, you know, even with his size, he offers some pretty good explosiveness. Uh, if you watch his high school film uh, over in Greensboro, he was he was a big kid at running back, but he was a load to bring down. He had great feet. I remember watching his high school film. He didn't really play a ton of linebacker in high school, but he used to recruit him as a linebacker just because he had great feet and great quickness at his size. So uh, I think once he gets into elite shape, you know, going into the next year, his redshirt sophomore year, or whatever year it will be with this uh, daggone eligibility ruling, uh, his third year in the program, I expect him to be uh, at a peak condition at a top-notch level. Um, so... I do think he offers you a little more upside. I think it, I think either way, you have a nice rotation there, like you said. So tough to say one or the other. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to see how he plays against a more traditional offense uh, against Tulsa. Uh, and last question from 888, Parker's or Bees Barbecue? Uh, I love them both. I like Parker's, uh, but I really love Bees Barbecue. You can't beat Bees, man. It's, uh, it's a staple of Eastern North Carolina, of Greenville, so I'm going Bees every time. All right, Purple Hook, he's got our next question. He says, Garcia is a big kid with a lot of athleticism, but he definitely was not ready to play. Do you think Flynn, knowing the offense, would have gave us more production today? Um, You know, I don't want to say Garcia wasn't ready to play. I definitely don't think he, you know, in an ideal circumstance, he wouldn't have been in there. But, yeah, he had the best week of practice. He looked the best this preseason. Um in terms of upside, you know, I think Alex Flynn probably does have a little bit better understanding of the offense given his redshirt year. May have been able to do some different things. I don't think he would have been able to brought or bring the running game to the table at all. So Alex is more of a pocket passer. Not that he can't run or scramble. But I think given Navy's inability to stop the run, 
using Garcia with an extra hat in the run game on the quarterback power, quarterback draw, etc. I think that was the approach EC wanted to take. And, you know, maybe things would have been different with Alex Flynn, but they committed to Garcia. The coaches know best. I mean, they see these guys practice every day. Alex did miss a week of practice due to a sore arm, according to offensive coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick, so maybe that had something to do with it. it sounded like that happened pretty recently. Um, but, you know, no no game experience for Alex, very little for Garcia. It's not an easy decision, but it sounds like they're, you know, they wanted to go ahead and get Garcia this experience for the future, and he, they felt like uh, he had the best chance to win the game for ECU. And, you know, it's hard to say. I haven't seen Alex Flynn pl- practice at all in the past year, and I haven't seen Alex Flynn take a snap in a game. So I, I really don't know. That's just something we have to trust the coaches on. Uh, Diamond Buck 312 he's got a couple questions here. Why don't we challenge the fourth down spot? You know, uh, that's something that really the – that the you can certainly question it. Uh, one thing is, though, if you challenge the fourth down spot, in that situation and you lose, you lose a valuable timeout. And I think ECU was down to two timeouts at that point. So that's a crucial thing. Also, why isn't the AAC replay booth coming in with a challenge there? I mean, they had plenty of time. Navy was milking the clock on the next play. That is an obvious situation. Even if he got the first down, which I personally, after watching the replay several times, think he did. Um, but that has to be looked at. It was close enough where it has to be looked at. So I put that blame more on the AAC replay people than you know the coaching staff of ECU, because if you if you challenge that, you lose a valuable timeout, and and you probably aren't gonna get it overturned based on the replay. I mean, it, to me, it was inconclusive whether he was short or not. Um, you know, he was kind of hidden behind a pile of bodies when he went down. But I still think he did a good job of holding his legs off the ground and getting there. You know, Jaira Wilson played it well. He hit him a yard short of the first down. And then Smith kind of spun off his tackle and fell forward. And I don't think his back hit the ground until he was at the 41. So, But, you know, it definitely should have been something that should have at least been looked at. And it's disappointing. It feels like this is the second or third time this year that the replay booth has not looked at a spot or a close fumble or some type of play when they had plenty of time to. It just seems like they're they're kind of falling asleep up there on the job, and that's disappointing, along with the AAC's testing protocol. So you want to be Power 6 American Athletic Conference. How about you step up your game when it comes to those crucial areas and start acting like a power conference? How about that? Uh, not that they're listening, but I'm letting them know. Uh, Diamond Buck also asked, should we expect this type of success with the run game going forward? What has caused the success, O-line improvement, Raji Harris, or the opponent? Uh, I kind of hit on this last week, but I think a combination of all the above. I think Raji's getting more comfortable each week. I think the O-line's getting more comfortable each week. I think the opponents, the last few, have been pretty porous in terms of stopping the run. Navy, bad against the run. Uh, but again, they were committing to take the run away, and ECU still ran it on them. And that's not an easy thing to do, even against a bad defense. Uh, South Florida, vulnerable against the run. Same type of deal, though. Uh, the Georgia State game concerns you, but again, that was the first time really that group had started the same offensive line uh, that we've seen the past three games. So uh, at this point, three out of four games, you've run the ball well. That is much better than not running it three out of four games. So I'll take that, and I think it's it's at least pretty legit. I think the numbers are pretty legit. I don't think ECU's elite in the running game, uh, despite running for well over 200 yards in, in three or four games. I think they are 
above average and trending to very good in their running game, but not quite there yet. They still have a ways to go. But I think Raji's ability to follow his blocks and hit the big one is is a, is a huge reason why, uh, along with some of the uh, consistent play in the trenches. Uh, Diamond Buck also asked, why no tight end targets in the red zone? Again, I hit on this earlier, but I thought there were multiple plays where Calhoun was open and uh, Garcia just missed him. I do want to see the tight ends get more involved in the passing game. You know, we've really only seen Shane make one catch over the first three games apiece. You know, Jeremy Lewis was out today, so you were missing one of your top pass catching targets at tight end. Zach is more of a Zach Bird's more of a blocker at this stage. Um, I still would like to see Zach Bird split out at some point near the goal line in a one on one situation and just see if they give him one on one coverage. You know, he's six eight. Even though he's a big dude and probably can't jump out the gym, I'll take a six eight tight end over a five eleven DB any day. So that's still a matchup I want to see that we've yet to see ECU utilize. Uh, maybe at some point we will. Uh, but again, you know, why no tight end targets in the red zone? There really weren't a lot of throws in the red zone period. ECU was very conservative inside the twenty yard line uh, today. Uh, number four felt great to compete. To get, felt great to compete today. Should this be the norm going forward? Have we turned the corner? You know, I was going to talk about this uh, on my own, but yeah, I, I think this should be the standard. If you're East Carolina, based on Mike Houston comments after the game, it's clear that he thinks they are in the process of turning the corner. I don't think they've turned it yet. I don't think you can fully turn the corner until you start winning these type of games, until you go to Tulsa and you win, until you beat a Navy team that you've struggled with historically. I think beating a bad South Florida team in the fashion they did was the start of turning the corner. But I think to complete that turn, you've got to have some more wins under your belt. You know, can you beat a Tulsa on the road? Can you beat SMU at home later in the season? Uh, Can you beat a Tulane team in a pretty evenly matched matchup later in November? Uh, Those are questions that, that I don't know. If you can go through the season... And let's say you go, let's say you get three wins, but those three wins are over South Florida, Tulane, and Temple. I think that would be a major step in the right direction. And if you compete in the rest of your games, you have two more conference wins than you did last year. If you would have played a normal schedule, you would have beat Norfolk State. You know, I don't know about Marshall, if that game will be played, or if ECU would have won, but at least you're making progress in the conference. You're starting to put some of those teams you struggle with behind you, and you're only going to get better next season with the youth of this team. So uh, I don't think ECU has turned the corner. I think they're in the process of of turning the corner. I think we are witnessing the turn as we speak, and I think the team will get better each week. I think the locker room fully believes that. I think with the youth of the team, they fully believe that, and I think it's legit. Will they play this well every game or be this competitive every game? You know, when they go to number – eight Cincinnati on a short week, you know, who knows? But uh, I, I do think this team clearly is not as lost as they were at times last year and certainly not as lost as the Scotty Montgomery era. So they're getting there. They're still not close to being a finished product, but at least we're seeing progress. Uh, continuing with your questions, Buck Saber asked, biggest surprise on offense so far this season. You want to go negative or positive, Buck? Um, I think positive – Definitely Raji Harris. I mean, we all knew he'd be good. You can't envision a true freshman running back to be this good. You can't envision a true freshman anything 
to be this good. So his production would be a surprise in a positive direction for me. Uh, negative going with the same position in terms of surprise, Chase Hayden. You know, just an extreme disappointment. You know, I heard in the in the preseason he was just a different dude in terms of uh, his ability at the running back position. And, you know, given his his reps in the first two games, he didn't really look that bad when he got carries. He made guys miss. He made something out of nothing, nothing a few times. Um, but clearly something there was a disconnect there somewhere, and he has decided to officially opt out. And I, I kind of doubt he'll ever play here again based on what I've heard. Uh, so positive to Raji Harris and negative to Chase Hayden. Uh, clearly not a uh, not really engaged with the program and really a part of this this program's future at this point. Buck Saber biggest surprise on defense so far this season. Uh, the defensive line play, specifically Elijah Morris and Rick Diabreu, um, those two guys have been outstanding as first-year starters. Morris, a true freshman walk-on. Nobody saw this coming. Uh, nobody. Mike Houston said he didn't even know the guy's name when he was wearing number 60 in preseason camp. So <laughs> he called him 60. Uh, luckily, Elijah did graduate to number 90 and got a real defensive line number, which is good to see. And i tell you what, he will be on scholarship as soon as possible. There are, of course, uh, you know, rules as far as when he can be put on scholarship because if it's too early, he'll count against the recruiting class he came in with, but he will get a scholarship. Uh, make no bones about it. He is well on his way. So glad to see Elijah Morris being a big surprise defensively. Um, you know, negatively, I really I don't have many negatives in terms of biggest surprise. Maybe the fact that Elijah has already passed, like a Travion Freshwater, uh, Kaziah Everett, JVM McCray, but a lot has gone into that. You know, some COVID stuff with some of those guys just learning the defense with others. So, there, you know, I don't really have too many negatives defensively surprises. I think really the defense has uh, surpassed my expectations to this point. Uh, Pirate Marv asked, why weren't the tight ends evolved more in the passing game plan? Kind of hit on that earlier. You think with a young quarterback, you would like to see some shorter tight end passes, but, um, you know, again, I thought there were some there and Mason missed him. And I don't know, you know, on that fourth and short, it looked like Calhoun was the primary read and he was double covered. So it's not like they weren't trying to get the ball to him. Uh, I think the quarterbacks have to start doing a better job of looking their way more. Against South Florida, there were the, the tight ends were open a few times that ECU did not hit. So, uh, you know, maybe it's just one of those things where the tight ends have not been involved in the offense here for a long time. It's just going to take some real commitment to getting them targets to get them more involved. Uh, Pirate R asked, do we, did we have a coherent plan for Garcia today or was experimenting a bunch on the fly? The offense slash play calling looked nothing like when Holton Aylers is behind center. I was thinking we have a system and it's plug and play with a few restrictions. Of course, it's kind of felt like we set Garcia up to fail, not maliciously, of course. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's a lot of RPO game uh, with Holton. The, the offense really is RPO based. And RPO, when you run it, you have to do so much thinking on the fly and reading the linebackers, reading the depth of them, what they're playing. And I think they really wanted to simplify it for Mason today and basically call either a pass or a run. I doubt, you know, I'd have to go back and double check, but I didn't see too many RPO concepts. I'm sure there were a few, but I felt like ECU really simplified it today and basically called pass or run. They didn't want Mason overthinking it. Um, they wanted a handoff to be a handoff, 
and a pass to be a pass or a pass to turn to a quarterback draw. They probably told him, hey, if you're if you're not sure about it, just use your legs. Don't make a mistake. Don't turn the ball over. And so I think a lot of it was done to simplify the offense. I think as Mason continues to grow and learn the RPO and learn the reads and learn the defenses, we'll see more of the traditional uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, Holton Naylor style offense for Mason. But given the, you know, I've just heard Mason right now is, it, you know, he like all freshmen, struggling a bit to, to learn uh, the mental side of the game as a quarterback. There's just so much that goes into it with uh, protections defensively and everything. So um, I think that was just done to simplify it. And maybe it made ECU a little predictable. It probably did in certain situations, but I thought, uh, it, you know, I think the staff felt like that was their best shot to win the football game with a first-time starter. Uh, Pirate Treasure NC asked, will the social media post by Holton's brother be an issue within the walls of the football team or athletic administration? I can't shake the feeling that there will be some fallout from that. Uh, multiple players, from what I've seen on social media, are upset naturally. I mean, you can't lose your starting quarterback to a potential false positive and not be upset. Uh, now, given the culture Mike Houston has created, I think he'll reel them in pretty quickly. Uh, I think that they'll put it in the past next week, and they'll move on from it. Uh, you do have a bye week to kind of bounce back, catch your breath a little bit. I'm sure Mike Houston will have some talks with ECU administration, but really this is out of ECU's control. This is out of the coaching staff's control. This is out of the players' control. This is out of the athletic administration staff control. This is the AAC Medical Advisory Group. This comes down to a doctor's decision. And in the in the midst of a pandemic, a global pandemic, a coach or an administrator athletically cannot overrule a medical professional based off what the American has and the NCAA has handed down. So uh, I just don't, you know, there might be some upset people, but I don't expect a ton of fallout from that, if that makes sense. All right, Straw369 asks, do you think we see some of the run plays designed, designed for Garcia used today in future games for Holton? Yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, I've been talking about this quarterback power for a number of weeks now. Is something Holton did a very early in his career a ton. Really haven't seen a lot from it the last couple of years. Would love to see Holton be utilizing that role more towards the goal line, especially or in short yard situations. I think that's something he thrives in um, and would like to see ECU utilize that. I'd like to see ECU utilize some draws. But, you know, I think Mason, Mason's got a little quicker of a first step, so he's a little more explosive on the draws. Holton's more of kind of your power guy. I like him better in short yard situations uh, in design runs more so than tucking the football and running. That's just kind of how I see it with my um, naked eyes. But, uh, again, I would like to see some more of those design runs for Holton once he gets back. Uh, Straw also asks, how excited are you about the youth up front on the defense? Every time you turn around, it seems like someone young is making a play. Yeah, I mean, the Rick you just blew up a couple plays today. Uh, where he just crushed the quarterback. Willis hammered the quarterback. You know, he's not a young guy, but it was good to see him play well. Uh, Elijah Morris, man, this guy is getting better every week. And it's pretty impressive for a preferred walk-on to come in here and do these things. And uh, extremely bright future. When you know your assignments, you're fundamentally sound, you're disciplined, you're going to play. And so I give that kid a lot of credit for having a chip on his shoulder. He's He fits the ECU model. I think he's going to have a lot of success here 
uh, for a long time. And then we haven't really gotten into some of the other young guys. I mean, Emmanuel Hickman is a redshirt freshman. Uh, Javion McCray, Kazai Everett, Travion Freshwater, all those guys are freshmen. Xavier McIver, a true freshman who made some plays today. I mean, there are just so many young guys. Then you got guys like Sarad Ware, Deontay Johnson, Kareem Stinson, Jason Romero, who aren't playing as much but have a ton of upside as well. And I just think once these guys get a full offseason, the sky's the limit with John Williams in the strength room. Um, you know, I, I can't be more excited about the trenches, and I want to continue to see them do the same thing offensively. Just load up on as many guys as you can within the scholarship limits, obviously, uh, without hurting the rest of the team. Because the more guys you have there, the more competition you get, the more depth you get. Injuries are going to play a role, like always. But if you've got enough bodies, you know, eventually some of the guys are going to work out and take that next step. And so I think it's it's awesome to see the young guys uh, really emerging and uh, taking on those roles at such a young age. All right, and our last question tonight, JT Byrne Pirate, he asked, thoughts on officiating? We are used to bad calls, but there were two big questionable spots, especially the fourth down spot that should have been a lot closer. Again, I would have liked to have seen the the final spot at least reviewed. You know, there was another spot early in the game, which I think is what you're talking about, JT, where near the end of the first half, Navy had a play where they were at least a yard, two yards short of the first down. And the official just gave him the first down. He, You know, I don't know if the spot was off or they, the chains were off and they just gave him a first down, but that was just bizarre. Uh, and it didn't have a huge impact on the game, but, you know, the clock was stopped for no reason because the, because they were trying to measure or trying to figure out something. Uh, but that was clearly a play where it favored Navy. And, you know, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I do believe when you have Navy written across your chest, you know, I, I think you get away with a lot of stuff in terms of penalties. I know that the American or officials will never admit it, but I venture to say if you have Navy across your chest, they're going to be a little more lenient when it comes to throwing flags. I don't remember too many flags today against Navy uh, outside of the one illegal block um, on a play. I can't remember too many others and maybe a delay a game or something, but uh, they are pretty consistently one of the, the least flag teams in the country. Um, and, and, you know, they get a lot of credit for being disciplined, which they are, and I give them credit for what they do, but, uh, it does make you scratch your head. There were some very questionable spots today. Again, watching the replay, I thought the fourth down spot was fine. Just would have liked to seen it at least looked at, like to seen it review, given the, the state of the importance of that play. That is a game changing, potential season changing play that wasn't even stopped for review. And, uh, that's disappointing. But what can you do? Uh, we are It's in the books. Maybe I'll reach out to an American Athletic Conference uh, official in the coming days to try and get some clarity on the replay system as Navy was also awarded a timeout back after a review, after they called it and the play was reviewed. They called the timeout, the play was reviewed, and then they got the timeout back. I thought you had to challenge or the, the replay had to be initiated from the booth not to get a timeout charge, but... I'll try to get further clarity on that in the days to come. But that'll do it for tonight's podcast. Again, we sit here on Saturday night. Uh, Sorry to be recapping an ECU loss, but excited to talk Pirate football. Again, earlier this week, I wasn't sure there was going to be a game. There were 10 guys who were pulled out of contact tracing earlier this week on Tuesday. All those guys, by the way, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, they missed practice on Tuesday. Basically, your entire secondary 
mispractice. That is a crucial day of practice that played a role in this game, I feel like, turning out maybe the way it did. Maybe those extra few days of practice makes a difference for the defense in a certain situation. So, uh, But it is what it is. We move on. It's 2020. Tough circumstances. I give ECU a lot of credit for fighting the way they did, uh, for not pouting about it, and, and for moving on and playing this football game. And you know, lots of lots of positive signs in this loss. I know nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to talk about moral victories, but this program is moving in the right direction. I firmly believe that. I think they'll continue to get better throughout the year. I've said that every week, even after the Georgia State loss, and I think they will continue to do that. So, uh, again, like to thank you guys for tuning in. As always, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Spotify, etc., as all the ratings and uh, subscriptions to our podcast really help out in the uh, the rankings and just uh, us showing up in the podcast network. So uh, we appreciate that. Uh, I am Stephen Igo, the host of Hoist the Colors and the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. Until next time, we'll speak to you before ECU's game against Tulsa. I'm sure we'll have a, a bi-week podcast as well in the coming days. But for now, thanks for tuning in to the Hoist the Colors podcast.